Welcome everybody. Derek Damano, founding financial advisor, flagship asset services. And this morning, if it is morning where you are, you're joining us for the Clarity Cast, where we have collaborative conversations with other industry professionals, product specialists, knowledgeable in individuals in their fields. And today I'm joined first and foremost by a friend, but also a longtime uh, business partner, Brian Vilek. Brian, so good to have you, man. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, great to be here, Derek. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Brian Vilek, and I'm a certified financial planner and uh, insurance consultant for advisors, as well as um, a financial advisor myself uh, on a referral basis through many of my uh, insurance uh, partners. And um, yeah, I've got an expertise in long-term care insurance, and I'm a certified financial planner. Uh, Derek and I have known each other for, geez, uh, probably close to 17 years now. And um, coming up on my 30th year in the business, it's hard to believe uh, it, that time's flown that pass, uh, fast. rather. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, it's great, Brian. Yeah, so... so um... That good good memory, Brian. Uh, it's easier for me because I can uh, I can mark our our relationship and our friendship by my wedding because you were there, and so that makes it a little bit easier. <laughs> Although uh, I I don't have it down to the the, the day. So uh, great to have you on. And today we were going to talk about insurance, like really big topic there, of course. And, and what we had decided is that we were going to narrow that down into uh, a specific type of insurance uh, and, and, and planning around that. And we're going to talk about some long-term care insurance and the periphery that goes around those types of policies and the planning. Um, so maybe, Brian, if, you don't, if you'd like, kick us off with some, some thoughts. It's really, I, I think a lot of people that are listening to this uh, will come maybe with some uh, thoughts already on care and long-term care and the insurance product that goes along with it. So this can be somewhat of a, a hot topic. So so maybe just um, get us going. Yeah. Um, well, you know, Derek, um, you and I have been in a book club since COVID. And uh, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about when I was preparing for our conversation today is a book by Annie Duke, uh, Thinking and Bets. And I think a lot of times, uh, myself included, um, you know, you um, don't do something and you don't have a negative outcome. So you look at it and say, okay, well, I made the right decision. Mm. Um, and Annie talks about the concept that in poker, um, you know, sometimes you get a favorable outcome, even when the odds are stacked against your favor. Uh, and um, it's important to understand that just because you didn't get a negative outcome doesn't mean that you made the right decision in a situation. And I think that with long-term care insurance planning mm -hmm. and long-term care planning in general, um, not doing the planning uh you know, even if you have a favorable outcome and live a long and healthy life and never have uh, an event, doesn't mean that uh, you made the right decision. Uh, regardless of whether you purchase insurance, the planning is so important. You know, to have an understanding of what you would do if, um, how you would handle it, and what resources that you have available to cover it. Uh, that planning at a base level, everybody should do. 
whether or not they end up purchasing the insurance product you know, is a, a separate decision. Yeah. Uh, Brian, I, I think that, uh, I mean, let me start with that. That's uh, that book is great, right? Annie Duke, uh, good book um, for anyone that's interested in, in reading something that, that um, maybe is, a, you know, a, a little bit different in the way she thinks given her background uh, through success in, in poker. Um, but, but the, the, that whole idea that uh, we measure decisions based on the outcomes, right? Um, and sometimes we, we make what is maybe like, seems to be the best decision and don't get the outcome we want. We get like a negative outcome. So kind of the opposite of, yeah. of your, your example, but the thread that you're pulling at, I, I love so much is um, that like those conversations have to be had. And the other piece of that is I, I feel like um, I'm going to say everyone, you know, generally most people have been sold something in their life. And that may be an insurance product, that may be an investment product, man, it may be like an invent, uh, an, an expensive suit or a car, but everybody knows th that feeling of they are interested in something, but then they feel like it was sold to them rather than they made a purchasing decision. Sure. And so, I, I, I mean, I, I think what you were sharing hints around that whole idea that when you're talking about something like morbidity, right? And, and chronic illness. And these are like sensitive topics, right? They're not normally the ones that you bring up lightly over, you know, like your mashed potatoes at dinner. You know, they, they take a little bit of uh, care and tenderness, right? When you're talking about them, like the first thing it seems like is that we just have the conversation, right? That we start bringing that in, out into the light to say, okay, so what do what do we what do we really have here? And so I, I mean I love that. Um, so from a high level, we need to have the conversations. M maybe just a little more pointed. Like so, what are we having a conversation about? Like so, what is long term yeah. care, and what is this thing long term care insurance? Let, let's let's maybe kind of set the table with that. Sure. Well, yeah, long term care is. Yeah, a, an event where you need custodial care. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be later in life, but we tend to think uh, about custodial care as being something that happens to us when we're old and frail. Um, but it could be a traumatic injury that occurs due to an accident. Um, it could be a debilitating disease um, or chronic condition that creates it earlier in life, like uh, early onset dementia. Uh, yeah, and that need for custodial care comes at a cost, and insurance helps protect against the financial consequences of that long-term care event. Uh, the um, the triggering event for long-term care is things like you mentioned earlier, Derek, that we really don't want to talk about, like the activities of daily living. The the idea of thinking about a time in your future where you might not be able to perform the activities of daily living uh, is uncomfortable, and mm -hmm. some of them. Some of the activities are ones that we really don't want to talk about in polite conversation, like toileting or continence. Sure. Um, often when I'm talking with a client about insurance, I don't even mention those activities. I say there are six activities of daily living. And if you can't perform two of those six activities, that would be a triggering event for long-term care long-term care insurance, assuming that the need for custodial care is expected to last more than 90 days. 
And then what I usually do is focus on two that people probably could consider needing mm -hmm. assistance with later in life, uh, like uh, transferring, getting up and down the stairs. Maybe you get to a point when you're in your 90s or late 80s where you can't physically get up and down the stairs to get in and out of bed without somebody helping you. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that would be one of the activities of daily living. The other might be bathing. Mm -hmm. Now, it might not be necessarily that you can't physically wash your body, but the act of getting in and out of the bathtub um, you know, is a slip and fall hazard for you. And you need somebody there to provide substantial assistance to um, stabilize you and keep you safe uh, from injury uh, while you're bathing. So I usually use those as the two, but those are only two of the six, right? The others are, I mentioned continence and toileting, eating, dressing uh, are the others. Now there's a separate way for somebody to potentially um, be eligible for a claim on a long-term care insurance policy. Mm -hmm. And that's a cognitive impairment. So if you have Alzheimer's disease or dementia later in life, you may be able to perform all of the activities of daily living, but because of that cognitive impairment, uh, you need supervision and you need assistance, uh, and that would be its own triggering event. Again, it needs to last, expected to be lasting more than 90 days, and that would trigger a benefit on a policy. Um, so, Brian, maybe just uh, to, to because that, that's a lot of stuff, right? So, um, the, the first thing is, so long-term care or like a long-term care event is an event where an individual no longer can do um, activities of daily living. So they're considered chronically ill and they're not going to get better, right? They're not going to recover from that, right? And so activities- uh, not, not, Actually, not necessarily, Derek. Um, okay. you know, a long-term care event doesn't have to be a permanent event. Mm -hmm. um, so there are situations where somebody might qualify for long-term care benefits on an insurance policy, need custodial care, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, they may, may get better. You know, like for instance, you know, if I were to slip and fall and break my hip and it was a severe, um, severe break and I needed rehabilitative care and custodial care for six to nine months while I was um, convalescing and rehabilitating, but I eventually get better. I could go in benefit or on benefit for a long-term care insurance policy uh, and then come off benefit when I get better. Um, but most of us probably think about long-term care as being something that's more permanent. Uh, but in many cases, it's not. Got it. Okay. So, I mean, I think, so, uh, all right. So thanks for sharing that. So uh, when we talk about, um, the most common fact set we're talking about someone that becomes chronically ill right um or or that that chronic illness is is through a wearing down of parts and so forth like you described yeah. right with an expectation on an insurance policy mm -hmm. which may have a waiting period that it's going to go through that waiting period right and then continue for some time and in your example where someone's getting better you know, if there was a 90 day waiting period, the expectation is then after that 90 days, there's still months of care that's need to be given. And so technically they can go, you know, into benefit. So a right. couple of things that I wanted to pull out um, and we could get really down in the weeds, but I think at a high level, we're having conversations 
and I feel strongly that you're going to agree with what I'm going to say is you're having um, these types of conversations, not just with your your family and uh, potential caregivers, but also with a trusted professional, you know, that that you feel is going to make, you know, uh, guide you in a fiduciary capacity through this process. Right. And then then there were a couple of words in there that I think. So you mentioned custodial care. Right. And you mentioned activities of daily living. So the activities of daily living, I think, is is pretty simple because you outlined there's six things. Some of them are easier to imagine ourselves not being able to do like dressing ourselves or bathing ourselves. And then some of them are like less pleasant to think about not being able to do on our own. Then you mentioned or also you mentioned this idea of custodial care. So maybe just let's take let's take kind of like the 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 technical term away and maybe just talk about what you mean what does that look like so if i'm if i'm listening to this now and i have an aging parent or myself if i feel like man I, like at some point this this they could be describing me like what does that mean sure um well i, I think um it there is a lot of confusion around it certainly and um you know, clients will probably occasionally come into your office, and I know they come into my office thinking that they have coverage for uh, custodial care needs through Medicare, uh, because Medicare offers a skilled rehabilitative care benefit uh, associated uh, with uh, the program. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are a lot of stipulations involved in that, and that skilled rehabilitative care is not custodial care. So custodial care is uh, for literally for those activities of daily living. It's not to help you get better. It's not the physical therapist helping you with exercises and helping you get back the range of motion or the ability to um, you know, eat and drink after a stroke uh, or whatever it might be that is requires skilled care. It's that custodial care, the, the stuff that um, we all need to do, but um, doing those things and getting assistance with those things is not going to get us better. Um, mm -hmm. And that would be eating, dressing, bathing, you know, continence, uh, transferring. Those things are, are not going to get us better. Now, we might be receiving skilled rehabilitative care at the same time, mm -hmm. you know, that we're receiving custodial care. Um, but ultimately, Medicare is not going to cover that custodial care, and Medicare has a limited benefit, um, maximum of 100 days um, on uh, on the Medicare, assuming that you qualify through the events. And that's kind of outside of the scope of our conversation, certainly. Sure. But yeah. um, the custodial care is really for the non-rehabilitative uh, work that needs to be yeah. done. So, so I mean, it, there are a couple of things there, right, Brian? Like, what? One is you start having this conversation and all of a sudden there's this other piece, which is, okay, so M Medicare, and you didn't say the word, but then Medicaid and these, like all these things, this is like melted Neapolitan ice cream, right? They all start to blend together, but where are the actual lines? So let's not go down that. We could have a whole separate conversation. Maybe we we will get some comments and maybe we'll do that on Medicare, Medicaid, and how that all fits in. But um, so, so those are, those, there's con, th those are considerations duly noted, right? Well, yeah. Something you mentioned in the description of custodial care that stuck out to me that I think is important is that 
um, in your description, you were talking about the type of care being given, but not the location, right? So I think that let's talk a little bit about where you might receive custodial care. And then if we could, why don't we talk a little bit about um, how a policy might handle that if you actually had an insurance policy to help pay for some of these things? Sure. Yeah, well, most people want to stay at home, um, certainly. Um, and uh, policies that are sold today, uh, long-term care insurance policies offered today, uh, offer both home health care benefits as well as uh, benefits in an institution like an assisted living facility or a nursing home. Um, so you have a broad range of areas where you can receive uh, coverage and care. Um, again, most people want to receive their care at home. At some point, it may not be practical um, for them to continue to receive care at home. And at that point, they may need to go into a, a nursing home or an assisted living facility where they can receive 24-7 care. But I would say that most claims for a insurance policy start at home because most people, you know, are starting their care continuum at home. Um, you know, now occasionally, certainly, you know, the uh, care need starts because of an acute situation that requires that they immediately go into a facility. You know, maybe a, a significant stroke or some other you know, event like that, uh, where you go from being healthy to, you know, not being able to perform the activities of daily living all at once. But mm. it's a, usually a gradual decline. And you know, it starts with, you know, friends and family, you know, doing the grocery shopping for you or becoming your Instacart, as I had a, a friend mention last night when he was talking about his parents. Yeah. Um, you know, and then it kind of develops from there to a point where it's not assistance with the incidental activities of daily living, balancing your checkbook, doing the grocery shopping, et cetera. It's the more important you know, daily activities that need to be help, uh, you need help with. And, and it maybe could be family members coming in at night uh, to do that. And then eventually the heavy lifting becomes so, so challenging for the family that they need to bring in a nurse. And, and that's where when we get to that point, where an insurance product could potentially step in and start, you know, providing the care. Right. I, I think that um, a lot of times um, family wants to take on more of the work uh, than they're physically capable of and equipped mm -hmm. to handle. Um, and I always encourage the family to be care managers and care advocates, um, not necessarily daily caregivers. Um, you know, and, um, and to protect their own health because it, it is physically demanding work um, to help people get in and out of the bathtub or up and down the stairs or in and out of bed. Yeah. Brian, I, I think that's a like a really great point. And, and, um, and so like when you're thinking about like, we want uh, care at home and maybe it starts with your helping mom and dad or, you know, Uncle Tom or Aunt Susan or whatever that looks like, right? And then it gets to the point where like, this isn't just driving them to the doctors and doing this. This is like, and it's upping. And then we want, we need some assistance, you know, some sort of, I'm going to use the word skilled. And, and, and for anybody watching this, like there's all sorts of like loaded words that are, like are technically insurance words that it like, but the idea is that we have an outside person that is providing help, let's say, 
And then that progresses generally to the point that like the home is no longer a suitable place and we make this transition. And so um, there's all sorts of things like when we come when we talk about the policy, like how the policy pays and what like and to your point, you just said I would encourage a family to think about like being the manager. And so like if there's a policy, there's that what does that claims process look like? So, I mean, again, this is similar, I think, to that Medicare, uh, Medicaid conversation. We could have a whole conversation about the evolution of these products and how they deliver, uh, like the the benefit and what that looks like. And, and Brian, as I'd like to stay away from that and maybe talk about something I think that that would be more useful for our listeners, which is okay. Well, how do we figure out, like, how? where do we even start with how much we might need? Like, you know, I mean, this is like, so if we've started to think, yeah, maybe this is something we should consider. And maybe that now we've had this conversation, we're thinking, well, maybe we don't want to self-insure for it. Like we're not, like we want to start to investigate moving some of that risk to an insurance company in some sort of way through some sort of product, right? Like how do we even get started with figuring out like, what does this look like? Knowing that we could ask a friend or a neighbor, but not be certain that we're getting like accurate information. Like, I, can you speak to that maybe a little bit? I mean, I have some thoughts, but I'm interested in maybe like what, what where you might suggest somebody get sure. started. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because um, you mentioned the topic of self-insuring and it's kind of like nails on the chalkboard. Yeah, I, I taught a course at the University of Delaware on insurance for a while for their financial planning degree program. And um, you're not really self-insuring, you're just choosing not to transfer the risk. Um, you know, you're retaining that risk, but you're not purchasing insurance because you're going to have to use your resources, you know, to cover any claims that might come due if you have no insurance. Um, I, I think the key is, is, you know, if we're going to retain the risk, do we have separate resources set aside to cover it? And I think that's the biggest mistake that a lot of people make uh, when it comes to the idea of, uh, you know, retaining that risk and, and covering those expenses if they occur, you know, through the assets they've accumulated and saved uh, and worked hard to save, you know, during their working lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the reality is, is most importantly for this is if you need those resources to provide income in retirement, mm -hmm. you can't count those resources as resources that are available for long-term care. That's the first thing. If you're going to retain that risk and not transfer it to an insurance company, and you need to draw fifty dollars or $70,000 off of your investment portfolio, you need to think really long and hard about what would happen if I now had to draw $200,000 off of my portfolio every year because I need that fifty to 70000 for my healthy spouse's living expenses because um, they're not going to cut get cut in half magically because you don't need, um, you know, to be out there doing, you know, fun things in life. But your spouse is going to con continue to need to be out and engaged and mm -hmm. socialize and there'll be expenses associated with that. Um you know, and when you take into account and stress test your portfolio, uh, including the cost of a, a long-term care event, mm -hmm. you know, I think that many people find that, you know, the insurance provides them a potential better outcome 
for their family and protecting that healthy spouse than, than retaining that risk. Now, for some individuals, they have excess money set aside for retirement that they don't need for income. And it's a, a matter of using those excess resources for their long-term care needs. And in that case, maybe you know, retaining the risk uh, you know, is not necessarily yeah. a bad thing. But ultimately, that's my, my biggest concern is when somebody is double counting resources and expecting that um, you know, they can handle it. Yeah. Um, that's great, Brian. So it's, um, it, you know, not that that was a loaded question, but I asked <laughs> that question and that was a great answer about, um, you know, retaining risk and how to, how, like, are we really planning or are we just ignoring it? Like, I love, I love that. Um, and it's, it, it's different then I guess where I was, where I was thinking. And so that, that it, which is so perfect because I think everything you said is spot on and all of this stuff that we're talking about points to doing, having the right conversations with, with trusted people asking questions that not necessarily are like the right questions, but continuing to ask questions to make sure that we've thought through all of this, right? And then in the beginning, you said we were talking about Annie Duke and, you know, like basing decisions on outcome, right? And I think to say that a different way and actually to hearken to, to another reading that, that uh, you and I have done, the idea of saying, okay, so like, what is that? What's the direction? What's the goal? And then are the decisions that we're making in our planning, are they aligned with that direction? Well, you know, I, I know that sounds so simple, but a lot of times I don't know that 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 very basic question is asked, like sometimes making a decision feels good now, but is moving you away from the long term direction. And so in, in long term care planning, just like so many things, I think that's important. Um, one of the things that I was um, thinking that would be helpful for anybody that might be watching this and thinking, man, this is really applicable in some way to, to me or a family member or a friend is um, like, how do you get an idea of what these things might cost? Uh, and, and I don't mean the insurance product, I mean the care. And so uh, th there are some resources out online and the way I like to think about it, and all this stuff has moved. Uh, and so after, when, when we, when this gets posted, I'll make sure that we share the link <clears throat> that will give some of this research that's collected and is, is totally available. Um, but looking at what you just said is, okay, well, we're going to transfer risk to an insurance company. Like what portion of that gets transferred? And, and in the, and it wasn't that long ago, pre COVID that you, it just lined up in our area very well, where you could say, okay, well, you had, you had like home care, then you had assisted living and you had a nursing home and the cost of assisted living was almost perfectly half of of a nursing home. And so if we planned that we were going to we were going to transfer the risk of assisted living to like an insurance company through a product, we knew that if we ended up in a nursing home that we've covered half of that cost, right? And so the numbers have kind of moved around and they're different in different areas, but I think thinking about the planning and this is probably the real um thing that I want to articulate is that it's not a zero sum game, right? Is that, um, it, and when I first started in, in this industry, I thought about, well, to do this right, you need to insure for the entire risk. 
But I think the truth is, is that even a very modest benefit can be of help to a son or a daughter or a niece or a nephew or a spouse that's getting really tired trying to give care on their own and avoid spending down assets, you know? Yeah, well, you know, um, full-blown nursing care is quite expensive. Yeah, and like you mentioned, it it is um, you know geography dependent. You know, the the cost of long-term care nursing care in uh, Western Maryland is going to be different than what it is in Baltimore, Maryland, or Baltimore, Maryland is going to be different than New York City. Yeah, and um, that certainly plays into it. And ultimately, um, you know, somebody might choose to to move closer to a one family member over another in order to leverage, you know, different cost structures in in nursing care. But like I mentioned before, usually people don't start in a nursing home day one. Um, They're starting at home. And many people never progress from that. You know, they're able to maintain, um, you know, the remainder of their life with just custodial care at home and having a, a licensed uh, healthcare professional come out and assist them with the activities of daily living. And that might not be 24-7. Certainly, if it were 24-7 that they needed care, um, they'd be better off in a nursing home from a cost perspective. It'd be a lot less expensive uh, than hiring somebody at an hourly rate to be in your home uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you only need care, maybe three or four hours a day, maybe somebody to, to help you bathe in the morning, to get you from bed to couch, to help you administer the medications that you have to take, maybe to cook you breakfast and lunch. And then they can kind of set you up to have a family member come in and check on you later, later in the day you might be able to maintain that structure for the rest of your life and and stay at home with custodial care um you know uh, on a part-time basis through nurses and you know um you know other gaps being filled by family members mm-hmm. um that might cost 7 to 10,000 dollars today um you know we don't necessarily have to transfer all that risk to an insurance company um, if we were going into a nursing home, it might cost more like fifteen to seventeen thousand dollars to, you know, depending on the you know the quality of the home that you're going to and whether you have a, um, you know, a private room or you share a room with somebody for the first time since uh, you were in college, right? Other than your spouse, um, you know, and you know for that reason, you know. Um, you know, for all those reasons, people certainly want to stay at home as long as they can. Uh, and um, and many, many can. Um, but ultimately, having a policy is better than having no coverage at all. I'm, I'm actually working with a client right now, and they were adamant that they wanted me to show them, you know, a, the cost of a fully funded nursing stay on one of the hybrid lifelong term care products. And I think that you know, I'm having difficulty connecting with them for our follow-up conversation because the, the premium that they saw on that policy is probably a lot more than they expected. Yeah. Um, I find that most people end up purchasing a policy with a benefit between five and $7,500 a month, 
possibly depending on their age, the younger they are, the more likely this is going to be the case with some sort of inflation adjustment on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would cover maybe um, 40 to 60% of the cost that they would incur. Um, and it would ease, you know, and, and slow down the spend, you know, on their investment portfolio uh, to cover the care. And it would protect that healthy spouse in a way that uh, would allow for them still to have flexibility uh, for the rest of their life to, you know, to be able to use the investment resources to yeah. maintain their retirement lifestyle. Brian, so I, that last piece that um, you just said, I think, you, you know, to bring this kind of, as we get close to time here, to bring this kind of back around to planning, the context of a holistic planning, and the idea that like, you know, your heat doesn't go out on the warmest day of the year, it goes out on the coldest. And so doing proper maintenance on your you know, your boiler or your furnace is, is imperative before you have, you know, negative seven degrees, you know, with or without wind chill. Okay. <laughs> so, so um, co- like, I think a couple of things is, is having like an honest conversation about what care might look like, right? Who, like who would be potential caregivers and realistically, what would we be able to expect from them or what are we comfortable expecting from because those could be two different things and then regarding the resources and then what are those resources and are we tricking ourselves into self-insuring which is really just saying okay well we're going to ignore the fact that costs could dramatically go up and like that that spend down could be you know mom and dad or uncle tom had a lot of money and then he had no money because this was like a missing piece in the planning um you know, and and then like one step even beyond the idea of like this this whole like planning, do we have a policy? Who's going to have it? Having these questions, talking about these things is that the the is that even if you have plenty of resources to pay for the long term care, I think having these conversations is important because the 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 use of potential use of an insurance product as a hedge it is now a lifestyle planning tool and maybe it's a tax planning tool to uh, to create an income tax free insurance benefit that prevents a spend of a taxable asset so that's really kind of like more complex stuff but what i would encourage somebody listening to this is to, to say okay well let's start the conversation and then let's bring the right people into the conversation so that we can start turning these these stones. And, and in your example, you mentioned um, like a request for this, this really large benefit, which came with a really large premium. I, I think what I would say is as you tiptoe into this is to be open-minded to the idea that we are um, op- like optimal uh, may not be best, right? So the very best, like, you know, and I don't even know, um, uh, you know, I don't know if a Rolls Royce is the best car, but for most people commuting to work, that's probably not the optimal car, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I think when you look at these types of things is is just to make sure that we don't, you know, start to build these mouse traps in our own mind of where this thing should go and we really do the planning you know, um, with yeah, that. 
Uh, Derek, ahead, I, I think um, you know ultimately what what ends up happening is is that we all approach it a little differently. Like in our mind, we all have a slightly different uh, perspective on what long term care insurance and and whether it's important to us or not. Mm -hmm. um, and some of those perceptions are maybe misperceptions. Um, you know, you know, we talked about some of those in terms of you know I have the money to. Um, you know, retain that risk versus um, transfer it to the insurance company. Uh, uh, but I think that um, the one of the misperceptions that I run into is that, um, well, all I'm doing is protecting resources for my kids or grandkids. Now, mm. for some of my clients, that would be enough for them to buy the policy, right? Sure. For other people, they're like, well, in the unlikely event that I have a long-term care event and there's nothing for my kids to uh, inherit, then so be it. You know, um, I would like for them to inherit something, but you know, if I needed it for long-term care, then that's fine. But at its core, I'm not necessarily as concerned about the kids, unless my client is. Um, I'm concerned first and foremost for the healthy spouse, mm -hmm. making sure that the healthy spouse retains their dignity and quality of life um, you know, throughout this process and that they don't feel that they have to take on more of the heavy lifting than they are equipped to physically. And I see it, um, I've seen it in my own life uh, with neighbors where we didn't realize how, um, you know, how um, difficult a time uh, one of our neighbors was having until her husband passed away. Her husband slowly declined over 10 years because he was providing the bulk of her care and not sharing that responsibility with anybody else. Uh, ultimately, I believe it cost him his life earlier than he, you know than he would have otherwise died because he took on too much of that heavy lifting. And the family told me that there were they could see all kinds of things that he did in the house that they didn't necessarily immediately notice. Um, to help lift her and move her and get her up and down the stairs. Um, and everybody was, you know, many, most of them didn't realize that, you know, mom needed, you know, as much care as she did until dad had passed away. And then mom ultimately went into a nursing home you know, and uh, received care there and lived for another seven years. Um, but I think that she would have had her husband around a little bit longer if they had um, used some of the resources they had yeah. available to cover the care that she needed or, um, you know, or ask for help from family and friends. Um, yeah. And I think that that's a, a valuable place for insurance to come in is, is because many of my older clients, and I'm sure many of your older clients as well, um, have saved so hard for so long that they have a tough time spending money. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and um, the idea of having to pay out of pocket for you know a custodial care nurse to come into the house at the cost of maybe four or five or six thousand dollars a month uh, is enough for them to take on more of the heavy lifting that than they they really are capable of doing. An insurance policy would give them permission <laughs> to um, to bring that uh, that person in if they can. But I'm going to say one one final point on this is that uh, whether we buy the insurance product or not, 
you know, the plan is the most important part. Having, you know, the conversations that we've talked about with family about what care will look like, no plan for retirement is complete without a plan for long-term care. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're buying insurance, but it does mean that we're having the conversations, that we're understanding what it'll look like, who's providing the care, how we're going to pay for it if we need it. You know, um, because if we don't, what we end up getting into is people end up taking on you know too much physical physical responsibility for that than they can handle. Yeah, Brian, I love that. I, I mean, so so maybe in closing, you, you know, it really comes down to starting the conversation and doing the planning w- without already having the idea of what the outcome is going to be, but knowing what the long term goals are, and so. Um, it, it's two out of three people are going to, are going to need some sort of care. Right. And so even if you're on, listening to this and you're thinking, well, I'm the one that's not, I, I, I would encourage you to still have the conversation to your point that it's really not about whether the, a product is purchased or not. It's about have we done the proper planning so that all the other stuff that we've done up to this point to be successful, you know, doesn't come apart, right? We don't end up without heat on the coldest day of the year because we didn't do the planning when the weather was good. Yeah. And um, so it's been really enjoyable being with you, Brian. I appreciate your insights and uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime soon. Yeah. Thanks, Derek. <laughs>